I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. Today's program, Breaking Down Barriers to the Digital Ag Evolution, is once again being brought to you by Farmer's Edge. If you are tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll make every effort to get it listed there as well. And by subscribing, that will allow you an opportunity to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released, and also a chance to go back and revisit episodes from our 2016 series. I also urge you to mark your calendars and plan to attend the upcoming Dealership Mind Summit, August 1st and 2nd in Omaha, Nebraska. The theme of this dealer-only event is Roadmap to Mastering Equipment Remarketing and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. Space is limited, and you can visit www.dealershipmindsummit.com for more information and updates. Thanks again to Farmer's Edge, proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at farmersedgeusa.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. Well, the last few years have seen some dramatic shifts in the ag technology landscape with companies adjusting objectives to accommodate farmers' spending habits. Increasing adoption of precision farming practices remains a priority within the industry and as suppliers pivot toward the future, there are lessons to be learned from the past. Accounting for the historical significance of prior precision advancements, a new report from the Rabo Research Food and Ag Research Group analyzes the emergence, potential, and pitfalls of the latest wave of innovation, digital agriculture. The report, Bungle in the Ag Tech Jungle, Cracking the Code on Precision Farming and Digital Agriculture, explores the opportunities and obstacles to increasing adoption of data-driven farming. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast, brought to you by Farmer's Edge, we share excerpts from my conversation with report author Ken Zuckerberg, Rabo Research F&A Farm Input Senior Analyst, to discuss this fourth wave known as digital ag and how it may be a catalyst for true standardization and streamlining of precision businesses. Ken, I appreciate you taking time to, to chat with me. Uh, and, and I know this is obviously a fascinating topic and, and something that's very much rapidly evolving uh, in agriculture. Um, maybe you could start, just give me a little bit of background and, and some history on, on kind of how you developed this this report. Sure, ha- happy to. So uh, I joined Rabobank about three years ago, and three and a half years ago, uh, Monsanto announced the acquisition of uh, Climate Corp. And what was interesting about Climate Corp was it was a large price tag, and it was uh, 
quote unquote a disruptive new approach to um you know to precision farming mm -hmm. but you know it it was really a concept and i guess that boat launched a uh, a new industry which we call ag tech with multiple billions of dollars flooding in and uh what what seemed to be a uh, a lot of uh, a lot of promise but heretofore not a lot of adoption so you know part of what i was struggling with was you know, asking the obvious questions on about how is this really going to work? Mm -hmm. And just because Monsanto spent a billion dollars, it doesn't convince me that this is the magical bullet for farming. And of course, the the uh, cynical side of me also said, you know, <laughs> crop prices have peaked. So anytime you sell into uh, the top of a market, it's usually not because there's much upside left. <laughs> Sometimes there's zero upside, you know, and uh, Jack, I spent, you know, two and a half decades as a professional money manager. So, you know, I feel like uh, my, my perspective, uh, at least on that subject, was somewhat relevant. So, you know, I joined Robo summer of six, uh, 14 and at that point really started uh, in my responsibilities covering farm inputs. I, I started meeting and visiting and researching a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, the so-called newer ag tech uh, companies. And what I found after looking at, uh, you know, hundreds of companies and meeting lots of management and hearing lots of interesting stories was, yes, there, there in fact is a new wave of innovation, which I can give you my thinking on mm -hmm. uh, more. Um, you know, uh, digital ag is the fourth wave um, of innovation, and the report talks about the three prior. But digital ag is, is building on the third wave, which is precision farming. Mm -hmm. And part of the issue, which continues to this day, is that adoption by growers is very limited. We cite a bunch of reasons in the report, but perhaps the most interesting one is somebody forgot to build an ecosystem <laughs> before <laughs> deciding that there should be a lot of um, software and, and uh, smart tools to try to talk to each other, meaning how does the John Deere tractor sensor communicate with, uh, you know, Trimble's products and mm -hmm. communicate with granular and conservice? And how does the data all get collected, stored securely, safely, where farmer has his or her privacy safeguarded? And then how does somebody take that, analyze it, and then come back with some actionable recommendations that uh, are, are either instantaneous or very, very quick? So our thesis, um, in, in summary, is that there's a number of reasons why the farmers haven't adopted it until now. Um, even if we overcome them, the biggest elephant in the room is this lack of a universal digital ag platform that has proper storage and analytics. So in, in a nutshell, this was the um, uh, sort of the, the conclusion of the work I've been doing the past three years. Sure. Well, and that's interesting too. You, you mentioned kind of, uh, you know, kind of the catalyst. Uh, one of the catalysts being, you know, obviously the uh, the acquisition that Deer was going to make. And it's kind of ironic now that we've seen here in the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, that kind of dissolve. And and now we're we're kind of seeing things kind of move once again on that front. Um, you, you talked about, you know, kind of the uh, some of the changes in the landscape we've seen. You know, especially with um, 
kind of the influence that that venture capital money is having uh, in in this right. digital farming revolution. Talk a little bit about what what you're seeing, and and you know, is that kind of a game changer, or or is that something that you know we're going to see uh, maybe shift again? So so Jack, I think it's going to shift again, and um, you know. 15, 20 years ago, I was uh, investing in industrial companies and financial services companies, and um, I, you know, began my deep dive into a food and agri uh, uh, about 10 years ago. So I wasn't around for, let's say, the last um, large wave of ag tech investment by mm-hmm. non-industry people. So I guess what I would say is things always come in cycles. And, um, you know, just to put some round numbers on it, uh, AgFunder talks about $7 billion of capital that's flowed into the industry since the beginning of 2014. Now, that's a lot of money in real dollars, but relative to the multi-trillion dollar industries that comprise food and ag, it's sort of a beginning. You know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not as much R&D as you might expect. So to answer um, the question or to put color, more color on the, the shift, um, you know, whether or not um, uh, more venture capital comes in, um, certainly uh, uh, there's an appetite for it, but there's a disconnect between the time it takes for technologies to be validated in, in the agricultural industry and the typical time frames uh, for venture capital, which are oftentimes five to five to seven years exit. So I think the composition of money um, going forward will be different than the money that's come in. But I also think there may be, um, you know, a rationalization where some of the startups uh, fall by the wayside and, uh, a sur- you know, surviving uh, a new capital comes in to sort of take the, the good parts and pieces that have already been built to uh, create uh, more valuable companies. What, and I thought it was interesting about your your title for the report was uh, pretty appropriate. I thought uh, you know given you know kind of the landscape and and there is you know probably a fair amount of confusion out there uh, when you're talking about um, you know kind of the landscape and and the consolidation that's going on and the acquisitions and the mergers. Um, yeah. So it, uh, so bungle in the ag tech jungle, cracking the code on precision farming and digital agriculture. Um, you know, certainly kind of draws you in and, and, um, talk a little bit about, you know, some of what you guys were able to kind of initially discover, uh, as you put the report together. Sure. So I guess the question that people are asking me is where'd you get the title from the first part <laughs> of the title? And, um, Jack, I always like to work in a little rock and roll into the reports I write to, to keep everyone, uh, you know, playful. Um, so it's interesting. Where it really starts from is innovation in agriculture, right? And and innovation in ag has been happening as long as mankind has um, killed the earth and raised livestock. So I first approached this from the standpoint of innovation is not new, it's a continuation. Um, so what I did was, looking back the past couple hundred years, um, I thought that the machine age in ag was really a game changer. That was the first game changer. And um, uh, one of the first ones that I researched was the uh, seed drill mm. by an uh, Englishman named Jethro Tull. Now, in the 1970s, there was a rock and roll band called Jethro <laughs> Tull, which put together that song, Ag- uh, Bungle in the Jungle. 
So therein lies the connection to the title. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, you know, when you think about the seed drill and the cotton gin and the combine harvester going all the way to the tractor, these were major inventions um, which uh, corresponded with uh, the growth and, and wealth of civilization. So I wanted to pay tribute to the fact that let's not forget about what got us here and what actually is working because the idea of a combine harvester thresher and a gas-powered tractor, these were really meaningful shifts. So that was sort of what I call or what we call the first innovation wave. The second one um, I attribute to uh, fertilizer and crop protection chemicals that were largely introduced in the United States after the Second World War. Um, within that wave, uh, you saw uh, U.S. farms really moving towards a more industrial model, industrialized model, where there was large-scale crop farming, both corn and soybean. Um, you know, wheat farmers began specializing, and then livestock, the whole livestock complex, um, you know, moved towards its own sort of uh, uh, a new new separate industry. Mm -hmm. So as um, you know, fertilizer and crop protection chemicals enabled greater productivity. Um, you know, the incentive to specialize was there, and the, you know, uh, again, I think the U.S. farmer did his and her job by really stepping up production to help bring down the cost of food. Uh, wave number three, I think about as both genetics and precision farming. So think about the 1980s and 90s with the introduction of global positioning systems, um, variable rate technologies, and then of course on the genetic side, um, you know, advances in plant breeding, um, uh, and Monsanto was uh, a pioneer in this, uh, among others, where, uh, you know, you really could reconfigure uh, seed germplasm, seed traits in germplasm to be able to uh, tolerate a number of things, such as drought. So that also was a game changer in terms of the step function increase in yield. Mm -hmm. Now, digital ag is, is I think, about uh, as the fourth wave, which kind of builds on precision. And where the promise lies is the idea of um, reducing in-field variability. And now I'm talking strictly on the crop side. Reducing in-field variability, um, collecting data, which ultimately can analyze to uh, further um, improve productivity, i.e. reduce use of inputs uh, and, and better production, ultimately to drive a better bottom line result. Now that coupled with uh, this new age of uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence and algorithms, along with what uh, we see as inevitable, the uh, autonomous tractor, um, that starts addressing a number of things such as labor constraints, um, you know, an aging uh, farm uh, base and just bringing a different level of sophistication to the business that we, uh, you know, we call production agriculture. So this fourth wave, which again, largely was capitalized by um, some venture money and as well as Monsanto, this is where we're at now, early stages, but the promise is, um, uh, at least the holy grail as we see it, is the ability to farm more profitably through, uh, you know, optimizing inputs and, and reducing in-field variability. 
We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to take a moment and again thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for making this program possible. Farmer's Edge is proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at farmersedgeusa.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. Reflecting on Ken's comments so far, he talked about the influx of venture capital money into precision farming in recent years and whether that's a trend we'll see continue. The report cites that during the past two and a half years, more than $6.5 billion has been invested in the broad category of ag technology to include software, hardware, and other technology startups. Ken notes that there may be an ongoing appetite for investment, but there's also a disconnect between the time it takes for technology to be validated in the agricultural industry. This could impact both the volume of investors and type of investments made in precision farming moving forward. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from my conversation with Ken Zuckerberg on the day of reckoning coming for digital agriculture. Talking about you know kind of that that third wave and and as we got into more of the uh, you know precision uh, products and technologies and systems that are, are you know in, in some cases you know very very common on a lot of farming operations um, you know certainly a question that that I've heard you know and and you probably have heard as well you know certainly in the last several years is okay we're collecting all this data what are we supposed to do with it? And I think, you know, now when you're talking to farmers or, or dealers that, you know, are getting this question and trying to figure out and sort through here, how do they kind of, you know, practically and, and uh, profitably, you know, sift through all of this now? And, and, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, cloud storage and data warehousing and, and analytics and, and platforms and creating ultimately actionable decision-making insights for customers and farmers. Obviously, you know, that's the cycle, that's the loop here, you know, that that is trying to be created. But, you know, you mentioned some of the barriers here to kind of completing that cycle. Jack, may I uh, may I interject one point? Uh, yeah, of course. The barriers. Great. Um, so I think what's interesting is this whole idea of big data mm -hmm. uh, being some kind of new concept. It's not exactly new. Right. Mm -hmm. Um you know, disparate data sets from numerous uh, sources. Um, that's been going on since, uh, I dare say, the, the uh, you know, the evolution of uh, information technology. So I think what's interesting, and I make a distinction here uh, between sort of the data part of it and the precision farming. When I think about precision farming and, um, you know, varying the uh, use of, you know, applications. So using a certain amount of uh, chemicals in one place and less in another. To me, that is less about data. Uh, well, it, it has to do with the data of understanding what is on the ground, mm -hmm. but that's sort of an application technology, which quite honestly 
you know, had a proof of concept, farmers adopted it, and they, and they really could understand uh, AutoSeer and GPS um, retractors. That really had a step function improvement in, you know, the daily craft of, uh, you know, planting or, or harvesting. So I just wanted to make that point, and then a, a, a sub point, and then I'll go to the adoption issue, is with all the um, amount of data floating around, you know, maybe big data is not what we really need. I think it's really small data, mm -hmm. small, specific, um, helpful, uh, actionable data that can be used to then, um, you know, farm better and more profitably. So I just wanted to interject that and then, you know, be happy to discuss some of the, the issues related to adoption. No, and that's that's a good point to make there. Kind of kind of playing off that question again, sorry to to interject uh, as well, but, um, you know, who do you see as kind of being uh, the uh, the people then, you know, in, in precision agriculture that are going to kind of, you know, be the people who are going to bridge that gap? Who's going to uh, make that connection then for, for the end users when we're talking about, uh, you know, making that small data actionable data? Right. So I think, and this goes into what, the barriers uh, adoption question, what's happening today is, I think what's what's missing is a lot of the uh, software is being sold um, and, and certain products are being sold without that same um, use case like we had for, you know, variable rate application. Um, so you have uh, sort of a lack of uh, no proof of concept or a limited uh, ability to prove that there's a return on investment for spending even $1 on something. So I think first you have to get, um, you know, the, the products have to be vetted, uh, you know, quite a bit better. Second, uh, farmer infrastructure needs to improve. And um, again, this is a continuum because it's not just one party that's going to fix the system or get um, uh, the farmers to the holy land. Uh, the first party that needs to come to the table um, is the telecommunication industry. We need better rural broadband. We need um, we need uh, uh, business class enterprise uh, or, or business uh, class uh, uh, computing systems on the farm. We can't just have people uh, you know operate with a spreadsheet with the risk of losing data. Now it doesn't have to be backed up on the cloud, but it needs to be backed up, it needs to be stored, it needs to be secure. So, you know, the, the obviously an, a, another um, limiting factor here is getting uh, farms wired properly and getting the uh, broadband in rural areas improved. Um, as, you know, if we think about those things happening and then we think about that fifth uh, point in our, our uh, report, which is the creation of a much bigger, broader platform and integrated system. That's where who comes to the party becomes extremely interesting. So on the one hand, you have heretofore a lot of the ag chem and seed companies, such as um, Monsanto and Bayer and Dow DuPont and Syngenta, to a certain extent, having some... Um, you know, entries uh, or some, some, they've made some steps, strides into uh, precision and digital agriculture. But all the systems are different. Um, they don't talk to each other. And, um, you know, the data privacy issue remains a uh, question mark. Mm -hmm. So I think ultimately you need a number of parties, but you 
clearly need an independent third party that is there to operate the infrastructure so that the people that can analyze farm data can do so monitor you know being mindful of the restrictions put in place and the limitations so i fully uh, expect ibm to play a bigger role here um sap uh you could even see google or and or amazon come in here especially given their you know their knowledge of uh, uh geospatial and and uh, their ability to uh uh you know uh, store large quantities of data Amazon and Amazon's web services division, their, their cloud storage, they could uh, also be a part of here. It's not just one. There's not one party that can make it happen, but it's a coordination of parties coming to the table. Right, and it does seem to be, you know, very much more of an emphasis on a, a kind of co a collaborative effort, uh, you know, when you're talking about, uh, especially, you know, when, with what we've seen with with some of the, uh, you know, the mergers and, and uh, the cooperative efforts that are being made, uh, putting some of those pieces together that, you know, perhaps one company or another doesn't have and, and you know, working kind of in, in tandem or coordination to, you know, offer a more robust uh, product or solution that that's going to make much more sense. Um, you mentioned, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the, the integration and, and the adoption here and, and certainly, you know, um, the adoption curve on, on some technologies has certainly accelerated more than others, um, you know, and especially you mentioned some of those that are, you know, more easily uh, digested and, and implemented on the farm. But, you know, when you're talking about, um, you know, some of the digital farming components here, what are you going to see, um, you know, beyond some of those barriers that um, is going to be needed to to kind of accelerate and, and see kind of a buy-in, uh, you know, at the farm level and, and even, you know, at the retailer level? Got it. Got it. Okay. So first, uh, there there needs to be a day of reckoning and understanding about where we are and where we aren't. And I think um, we're not there yet, but people are starting to pay attention. And the you know this report is calling out the the issue. So said differently, if you have retailers and feed companies and other service providers all with their own systems that don't talk to each other it becomes very complicated for a farmer to want to get involved in this because nobody's going to do it well, right? So I, I guess I would say that the recognition that there needs to be a standard operating uh, system uh, and, and set of protocols is, is, is key. Um, Jack, forgive me, I, I lost track a little bit of what you were asking me beyond the connectivity issue. Um, sure, sure. Where, where did you want me to head? Yeah, so I, I was interested again in just kind of finding out, um, you know, with uh, the the adoption element and and how you know we're going to see that maybe uh, accelerate or or increase, and you know for the, for the stakeholders that are involved, you know, kind of getting Perfect. that implemented at the farm level. Perfect, great. So if I can address that now, um, you know, this idea of selling software to help um, produce unproven results. To a farmer that's undergoing four years of uh, pressure on the row crop cycle, not a great idea, not a successful <laughs> business, not something I would personally um, believe would be uh, the path forward. So one way to think about this is perhaps the business models need to change where the software is not sold, but it's given away for free. Um, and then at that point, you can actually, it's much lower risk for a farmer to test the waters, to to 
develop the to take the time to develop and, and experiment what ex, what actually is happening here. Um, you know, I would point to Google as being um, when it came about, Google provided pure um, free email. And remember, there was a period that no one knew what you, uh, you know what email was. <laughs> let alone <laughs> hard, hard to imagine. <laughs> let, let alone let alone search. Right? What do you mean search on the internet? And by the way. <laughs> By the way, what is the internet and how do you use it, right? So obviously I'm going now to the early uh, 1990s, late 80s, 1990s. So the internet was there, but it wasn't commercially used yet. I think there's a powerful case study here because Google essentially, um, like Facebook, created a product and service that people didn't know they needed. They provided it for free. They educated and allowed users to experiment and customize it um, to in, and engage with it in the matter that they wanted. And at that point, it became um, powerful in terms of what this can do and what it can't do. So I think there's a lesson there. So first, selling the software, I, I think the, the path forward is probably giving away the software. And um, the selling will be in the form of higher value add analytics, insights, and um, actionable recommendations. So obviously uh, what I'm saying to you probably does not help uh, companies that are trying to raise money now by selling software. But if you look at the uh, customer and you then look at Facebook and, and, uh, you know, and uh, Google and say, wow, those are multi-billion dollar companies that followed a very respectful approach to the consumer, I think there's something there. So I fully expect a reset to happen among digital ad companies with the view towards make it free, make it available, make it easy to understand, make it open. That's how you build an ecosystem. You can't build an ecosystem by trying to sell a concept to um, you know, somebody that is uh, living more in the physical world versus the digital world. No, that's an excellent point there. And, and you mentioned, I mean, as, as we're seeing certainly in the precision ag industry, um, you know, much more of a service-based focus now. I mean, uh, we're, we're seeing certainly dealers and retailers uh, really emphasizing that side of their business and, and using that as kind of a distinguishing element, uh, you know, from, from competitors and also uh, among customers as well. So, so I, I think the final question I have, and, and again, I appreciate you you sharing you know some insight here in, into the report, which which is uh, fascinating. Really takes a, a unique look here at at some of uh, you know where we're heading now, especially you know with with the the digital agricultural uh, revolution. But um, you know, kind of pulling out the crystal ball now and and looking you know even a little bit further into the future, and and you know. Um, you know, the, the next wave or, or the wave beyond that uh, of innovation that we're going to see. And, and maybe we're already starting to see some of those uh, those hints right now. But, you know, kind of looking uh, where we are right now and, and kind of moving beyond, you know, where, where do you see things evolving uh, even further down the road? Yeah, so, Jack, I, I would answer the question by, um, uh, you know, just gently rephrasing it and saying, you know, where... Um, where is the where could be the greatest area of value mm -hmm. um, to to the uh, ecosystem, and um, you know where 
uh, if one had the ability to channel large sum of money, monies, where would it go? So I'd answer uh, that question if, if you would permit me for rephrasing your question. <laughs> um, that's, that's kind of rude of me, but I, I wanted to do it in a way that I could uh, be helpful. So I think first, you have to say to yourself that the consumer, your family, my family, um, our children, our parents, food is a very emotional issue. And whether or not um, uh, you agree with it or disagree with it, um, if a customer wants GMO food or non-GMO food or organic or uh, traditional, I, I think you have to respect consumer choice, right? So consumer choice then uh, drives uh, transparency. And mm -hmm. transparency in the food system is something that is also a very emotional issue. <laughs> so I think, I think that um, to the extent um, farm management software and other, um, you know, tools and technology may be, may pivot towards um, making sure labeling and the supply chain, everyone's playing honestly. I think that's interesting. Um, another gigantic issue which um, is sitting out in front of us that, um, that I think uh, technology and the Internet of Things has an ability to help solve is water scarcity. So we hear so much about climate change and, um, you know, views about is it changing or it's not changing. So um, I think it's clear, especially if you go to Greenland and you measure how much ice is melting into the ocean, climate is changing. The, the real anxiety is, is it man's fault or is it just natural evolution? Now, Climate warming and water scarcity and food waste and, um, uh, you know, greenhouse gases uh, all going into uh, one conclusion is fresh water is evaporating or uh, getting more rare. So I think to the extent there are precision and digital technologies which help conserve water, repurpose water, desalinate water, um, re recycle water, and then uh, apply water more thoughtfully to a very, very thirsty industry, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is uh, seeing tremendous growth in animal protein, which consumes a heck of a lot more water <laughs> than, uh, than corn does. I think the, the, where, the where we should focus and what we should do, I dare say, has been telegraphed by many other people rather than myself, but that's where I think the intersection of technology and farming practices is uh, going to be exciting in the future. Thank you, Ken, for taking the time to chat and elaborate on some of the highlights of the new report, Bungle in the Ag Tech Jungle, Cracking the Code on Precision Farming and Digital Agriculture from Rabo AgriFinance. One of the more interesting points from our conversation was the idea of adopting a software for free premium support for a fee business model in the future. Ken cited Google and Facebook as free platforms that were launched, promoted, and educated consumers on value. They allow users to experiment and customize their experience for what matters to them most. And at that point, those platforms became very powerful. It will be interesting to see if this shift takes place in ag, but 
can suggest that providing free software would present lower risk and increased willingness by customers to test the digital ag waters. Well, I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And I'd like to again recognize and thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for helping make this Precision Farming Dealer podcast series possible. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this series in iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. And another reminder to mark your calendar for the upcoming Dealership Mind Summit on August 1st and 2nd in Omaha. The theme of this dealer-only event is Roadmap to Mastering Equipment Remarketing and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. Space is limited, and you can visit www.dealershipmindsummit.com to view the newly released full agenda of speakers and topics. And you can also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free e-newsletter, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on June 7th for the next episode in our 2017 podcast series. And be sure to look for continuing coverage of our Precision Farming Dealer Summit event throughout the coming year. For Ken Zuckerberg, Farmer's Edge, and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>